Habakkuk chapter 2. And to my knowledge, that's not a bad word in another language. It's the name of a prophet, but Habakkuk chapter 2. I want to minister a sermon that I've entitled, Wait for it, here it comes. There have been a number of things that have really marked uh, the last few months that uh, there and and going into even working and seeds being planted a few years ago. When I was in Lithuania, we could always tell there was about to be a storm. The wind would pick up. It would be something you'd hear in the trees. It would be something you'd hear in the uh, just in the, you could almost smell it sometimes. You could just feel it. Yep, it's about to storm. The, the wind is picking up. And I want to just share with you some things of the wind picking up recently. Many of you have heard about the Asbury College Awakening. This went on for a number of weeks. The uh, dean of the school had to tame it down a little bit because... Asbury is a very, it's located in the middle of Kentucky, a very small town. They were not ready for this. This was triggered by them having normal chapel. It's a Bible school. They had their normal chapel, and it seemed like a normal day. But a number of students began to stay around, and they began to talk about the things of God. And one of the students said, hey, I have to tell you something. And he confessed his involvement with, in internet pornography. And when he did that, others began to confess and repent. And when they repented from that, revival broke out. There has been the series of the chosen that has been on the internet. They're into their third season now. This is the story of Jesus and the disciples. They're telling this not necessarily in a movie to condense it all down, but they've told it now in a television-type series where they're covering the Bible and the stories. They've added some content to it, but people are watching this, and it's had millions and millions of views. There was, during the Super Bowl, the He Gets Us commercial. And it may not be 100% theologically correct, I get that, but how can you be 100% theologically correct in 30 seconds? But it's He Gets Us, it's about Jesus. They would show different clips to have people call and begin to see people reach out and, and begin to do that. It had some tremendous impact that out of all the Super Bowl commercials, which are always the famous commercials of the year, this is the one that got the most press. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, AOC down in New York, she made some comment about that and didn't think that this was the place or the proper place. And I'm like, well, if she doesn't think it's the proper place, then it definitely is the proper place. When DeMar Hamilton had his episode on the football field, 
one of the ESPN sports commentators began to pray for him on the air and began to actually lift him up and begin to pray in such a way. And the amazing thing about that is there were very few complaints, but as compared to very much support. Greg Laurie is a preacher. He wrote a book a number of years ago called The Jesus Revolution. The Jesus Revolution is a story about the Jesus People Movement and how it began in 1969 with a man named Frisbee, Lonnie Frisbee, coming into a church pastored by a man named Chuck Smith. That book now has become a movie. I'm going to show this movie when it's available. It's not quite available to us yet. But I do want to show you the trailer. We're ready for that. This movie is in theaters, getting tremendous amounts of people to go see it right now. And we're going to show it as soon as we can in a couple of weeks. These are all clouds on the horizon. They're all something that you can identify that there's something happening right now in the United States that has not happened for a long time. That we are going to be able to begin to see. I love what they say in the trailer and in the movie that in 1969, America was a very divided place, tremendous political and social divides, very reminiscent of what we're seeing today. That's why when people say it's never been as bad today as it was in the past, I'm thinking you probably haven't read history. 
It's the worst election I, ever, I can ever remember. Apparently, you don't remember the last one. Or the one before that. Or the one where, yeah, anyway, never mind. But I love the statement in it that we're going to need a bigger church. God gave us a bigger church. I went over to the old building this morning, and I grabbed a little 10-minute clip that we're going to show right now. There's no real sound to this. But uh, that's, that's, what it's, that's what it looks like. At least as of this morning. God did this. And we're excited. Let's talk about the vision. Let's talk about what God's going to do. Because the Habakkuk 2, verse two uh, verses 2 through 4. Then the Lord answered me. And we'll get into what, why he's being answered. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he who runs may read it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry or will not always be waiting. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright within him. But the just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk chapter 1 on through chapter 2 verse 1. Habakkuk is asking a bunch of complaining, whining questions. Lord, how come? Lord, how long? Lord, why is this happening? Lord, I can't believe this. He's going on and on, and you read it. There's just these series of questions. Uh, and, and, he's, and he says in verse chapter 2, verse 1, And I sat down and I waited, because he figured God's going to rebuke him. That's what he was waiting for. And God says to him, Habakkuk, write the vision. Now, this church has had numbers of prophecies and words spoken over it that they have bared witness in the souls of the hearts of men and women that God is going to do something. He's going to do some great things. As we see these clouds on the horizon, God is bringing some key things back to Habakkuk. One is expectation. That the church can get lulled into the place where there is no expectation. When you have no expectation for God to do anything, life becomes drudgery. It becomes gloom and doom. It becomes very easy to lose the perspective of the big picture. Philippians chapter 1 verses 19 and 20, Paul says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. What? What? He's in prison. This will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supplication of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that nothing, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with my bold, uh, with all boldness, as always, so, uh, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether it be life or death. Hope is the oil of prayer. If you have no hope, all you'll do is complain to God. Why is this? Why is that? How come this? How come that? I don't have. I don't that. But hope gives you that oil, that expectation. And this is what happened to Habakkuk. He's lost that hope and now he's just simply complaining. If we have an expectation, 
that God could do something at any moment. That this could be the service. That this could be the spark. Asbury, they were having just a normal chapel. It wasn't any, they didn't have a special speaker in. It wasn't like they were, he preached on revival. It was some people got together and began to confess and repent. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Get their hearts right with God and begin to see God move. He has to wait for a time. God wants us to learn patience. I was uh, in Canada. I was with Pastor Gene Lavallee, and uh, he's he's learning a whole new system, the whole new Canadian banking system, the whole new Canadian thought processes of of leaders as opposed to gallons and the way they pay rent and the way they do things and the way the government micromanages a lot of things in life and on and on and on it goes and he's learning this and he said you know my problem Keith he looked at me he said you know the problem I prayed for patience and God is now answering my prayer learning to wait our text tells us that though it Terry's wait for it. That God is going to be doing something powerful. That we're waiting on what God has with an expectation. It's not like just, yeah, Lord, I'm waiting. Or like when you're in the waiting room of either a dentist or a doctor, right? There's not, you know, it's just that quiet moment where you're just kind of like, oh, well. But it's an expectation. I'm waiting with the anticipation God is about to do something. James says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord and see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Before the coming of the Lord, and we're going to look at this, is going to be a coming of revival. And if the coming of the Lord is at hand, then the outpouring of God's Spirit is very close. There's clouds on the horizon. Allowing God to do His work, one of the things He has to do is first to work in us. God has to help us to be able to be prepared for that. Galatians tells us to not be weary Not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, or literally a precise time, we will reap if we do not lose heart. And the final thing in this vision that he tells him that he has to, you have to realize is you have to keep it simple. Or as some would know, the KISS method, right? Keep it simple, stupid. That if you keep it simple, that he make it plain on tablets, that he who runs may read it. To put that in perspective today, that would be like, keep it simple so you could put it on a, a, uh, um, a, a billboard. That if someone drove by, they could see it and read it. That they would know and I begin to identify quickly what you are advertising. 
I've seen billboards that I still do the, you know, uh, if I had stopped, got out of my car and read it, I still don't think I would have understood it. It's too complicated. But if it's simple, just right there, you know the simple vision that we are the people of God. We need to be right with God so that we can see revival. It's not worth complicating it, yet so many try to do that. The powerful thing about this movie is this is it did split the church in California as Pastor Chuck Smith began to do that. Not everybody liked. Not everybody likes, and we'll get to this in again in just a moment, but not everybody likes the thought of revival. But if we keep it simple, God came to save people that they would obey him, live for God, and tell others. It's pretty simple. Let's talk about the timing of this. Because in God's plan, it has to do with timing. He says the vision is for an appointed time. That God is going to do what He wants to do when He wants to do it. And as we're in the last days, there's lots of signs going on. Governments and turmoil, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine, pestilence, earthquakes. We're seeing it all right now. We know that the technology of the mark is all there. We know that all of these things are happening right now. That the timing is Jesus could come back. But before he comes back, he wants to save and pour out. God has dates in his calendar. I use my calendar. I'll use it for prayer and I'll use it for announcements. We have dates. We have dates with... Evangelist Tony Chase. We have dates in the future with Paul Stevens. We have dates in the in and and for those of you who weren't at conference, we were taking like a group picture, and he happened to walk by, so I happened to grab him, put my arm around him, and say, "Hey, everybody! He promised he would come this time. He's not going to cancel on me." And he's like, "Oh, you did it to me. Now I have to come." And so I'm like, "Yes, you do." There are dates. Joel two twenty eight through thirty two. This is what Peter quoted. On the day of Pentecost. And it shall come to pass that afterwards I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And on my maidservants and on my manservants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heaven and the earth. Blood and fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved for out of Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance for the Lord is said among the remnant whom the Lord will call. I'm looking for that outpouring. I'm looking for things like Asbury beginning with conviction and people getting right and seeing God move. In their lives and seeing God do great things. This is promised to the people who have faith or literally are faith filled, which is where we get the word faithful, full of faith. It says that in verse 4 that uh, the proud soul, and we'll look at him in just a minute, is not upright, but the just shall live by faith. 
You know, it's interesting, Jesus asked the question at the end of the parable we looked at last Sunday, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I don't believe God is going, oh, I don't know if anybody's going to make it to the end. I'm, I'm really not sure anybody. I don't believe that's what he's saying. I believe it's almost like a challenge. Will you really believe me in, in the midst of the last days? Because I think what he's going to do is going to be fast and he's going to cut it off in righteousness, as Romans says. What he's going to do is going to be miraculous. It's going to be something that we're going to witness and be a part of and then it's going to be over. Looking for what God has promised. Who will miss it? It will be the proud. The message translation says of this, look at the man that is bloated by self-importance, full of himself, but an empty soul. But in the person standing right before God, loyal and steady, believing is fully alive, really alive. It's kind of like the Pharisee of the tax collector. The one who could get all religious and say, oh yeah, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. I'm not like other men. I'm not extortioners or this or that or that. Like this tax collector and he's merciful. He just bows his head and says, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus asks, which one of those two went from there justified? I've entitled this sermon, wait for it. Here it comes. I think that's what we're on the verge of. Here it comes. Seeing visitors, people saved, Asbury College, stirrings in the communities, in the nation, people talking about Jesus. So it begins firstly with preparing yourself. Just like Asbury began with repentance, this young man confesses his involvement in sin. And others then begin to confess. Some of them confess the same. Others confessed others. And they begin to get right with God. In the onset of the very first American awakening, the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards pastored in Northampton, Massachusetts, and I pastored right next to there. So there was plenty of history about that. He had gone down to Enfield, Connecticut, uh, which is just over the, just on the, literally on the other side of Springfield, Massachusetts, right across the line into Connecticut. And that's where he preached that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. A couple of things about that. He had been fasting for three days, praying, give me New England. Give me New England. When he preached that sermon, he read his sermon, so he wasn't really paying attention. But there were members of the congregation who said they felt like the floor was opening and they were going to slip into hell. And they began to repent. They began to repent and get their hearts right. Say, God, I have not been doing right. I have not been speaking right. I've not been giving right. 
I have not been witnessing right. I need to be right with you. That's what happened. It's said of in that that the, in, the most influential revival that happened was in Northampton from 1734 to 1735 under the leadership of the pastor Jonathan Edwards. In the fall of 1734, now remember this is pre-revolutionary war, still part of England back then. Edwards preached a sermon series on the justification by faith alone, and the community's response was extraordinary. Signs of religious commitment were uh, uh, increased, especially in the town's youth. It was Benjamin Colon who said that, I've never seen a town that was so full of love or so full of joy that that." this town has had. I've never seen a Christian spirit so amplified in all of my life. He saw this. It spread throughout communities around into western Massachusetts, into eastern New York, into southern Connecticut. Revival began to happen. The second great American awakening began right here in Rochester. Charles Finney, one of the marks of Charles Finney was that he reserved the front row and they called it the agony seat. That was what the term was. Many say that he is the father of the altar call, that there had been altar calls before, but they had been he was the one who brought it down that you come up, make a commitment. And the agony that was felt in those seats was the weight of your sin bringing us to repentance. Also, you have to open your heart. In the trailer there, which is true, the one of the council members was worried about these hippies coming in and ruining the carpet because they were wearing bare, they weren't wearing shoes their feet were dirty literally that's that was a major concern oh my gosh they're going to ruin the carpet we can't have that now in in Lithuania I you know we had lots of alcoholics lots of alcoholics and we lost a few chairs that people would come in and they they had probably soiled themselves and 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 it just you know get and that smell would get in the chair and I'll tell you what there isn't there isn't enough Lysol on the planet earth to get it out because we tried we had one woman that when she would come we just said sorry you have to sit in a plastic chair I can't afford to lose any more chairs Revival isn't always convenient. 1984, I got saved in Cape Cod with numbers of other young people. We didn't get the whole thing. I remember playing, uh, Pastor Stevens had us playing on the platform pretty early because Mark and, Mark, uh, Mark and I had uh, amps and guitars. And that was like, okay, you got an amp and guitar, you have a bass, right, play Remember Mark showing up in shorts and bare feet? 
We were rough. We were new converts. We had no idea. That changed later as it needed to. But when people come in, they're not going to be problem-free. Now, we can't put up with psychos or the immoral. But we have to put up with some problems. Revival always brings problems. If you don't know that revival brings problems, just read the book of Acts. That's when a church where there's no problems. Okay, stay home in by yourself. And I bet, I bet, I bet you're going to still argue with yourself at one point or another. Read the book of Acts. It wasn't free. It wasn't always easy, but they navigated through because they saw the end. Acts chapter 10, Peter is called to Cornelius' house. He goes there, he meets with Cornelius, he gets, he sees them filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he baptized them. He goes back in chapter 11, and they're upset that he, as a Jew, has had a meal with a Gentile. And he said, tells them what God did, and they all were like, wow. That by Acts chapter 15, they realize, you know what? These Gentiles don't have to convert to be a Jew first and then get saved. We're making this far too complicated. It was people who opened their hearts. In Prescott, Arizona, when people began to get saved, hippies and literally this Jesus movement, what we'll see was happening as well in Prescott, Arizona. I mean, there was one particular leader in our fellowship who wanted to get baptized naked. He thought, well, why not? Some of them were going through heroin withdrawals. Some of them were having friends show up from other parts of the country who didn't get it and thought, well, you know, one girl showed up, another, a pastor's, a leader's wife in our fellowship showed up to a men's house thinking, hey, I told you I would come out and see you. I can live here with you, right? <laughs> no concept. Today, one of the most fruitful leaders in our entire fellowship. We have to pray for it, too. Prayer brings on revival. Again, the signs are here. The clouds are forming. 1857, there were 30,000 idle men in New York City. Drunkenness was rampant. The nation was divided by slavery. Jeremiah Lamther said this, enough is enough. Let's have a prayer meeting. Out of the city at that time, New York was only one million people. He set up this prayer meeting. Only six people showed up, and to that, they were a half an hour late. But they committed again. Let's pray next week. They began to pray, and soon it was 14, the next week 23, 40. But within weeks, there were thousands of business leaders coming every day 
The prayer meeting became so powerful that it is estimated that there were one million converts. Considering that our nation was only 35 million at the time. That's incredible. Prayer meetings began, papers in different places began to say that there was 6,000 attending the prayer meetings in New York City, another 6,000 in Pittsburgh. Washington, D.C., there were so many that they had to be held in five different locations. Other cities began to follow. By May, 50,000 of New York's 1 million or a little less than 1 million people had been converted to Christ because of prayer. Habakkuk's complaining. I don't see you doing this, Lord. I don't see you doing that. The vision. Lay hold of the vision. Grab it. Paul tells Festus, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. When he laid hold of that, it changed his life. These are little clouds. We are not seeing everything that's going to happen. But it's starting. I close with this. They say on a mountain that you could take a snowball and throw it. And if that snowball gets momentum, it, will, it could destroy a city. From the top, just a snowball. I think we've seen a couple of snowballs launched. And I think it's going to come in to cities. And I'm believing God that Rochester is going to be one of them. And we are going to see great things. It involves repentance. It involves opening our hearts. And it involves prayer. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Maybe you're here this evening. You're not right with God. Maybe you go to church. This young man in Asbury College, he was in a Christian college. He's going to church. He's in a church service. He's not right with God. He then confesses and God begins to help him. We have to take it. We have to take it and say, God, this is I'm not right with you. And I don't have to tell you. It's not even, I can't always tell who is, who isn't. But I can give you the opportunity to get your heart right with God. You know if your heart's not right. You know, you might, you know, you might be able to smile and, and fake it and so everything's great and everything's wonderful. Praise hallelujah. But I'll tell you what. God knows and you know. And isn't that enough? To make things right with God. And if that's you, you're not right, you're not saved, you're not born again, or you are backslidden away from God, you need to come to Jesus. Let Him help you. Let Him forgive you. Slip up your hand. Pray for me, Pastor. Thank God. Anyone else? Very quickly. 
Join an honest heart. Praise God. You, would you look at me? You mean that. Would you come? Just find a place to pray. I need a sister very quickly. Allie's going to pray with you. Just kneel down. God's going to help you. Thank you. The clouds are on the horizon. Things are, things are afoot. Things are stirring. Things are beginning to happen. Maybe your sin hasn't made you backslidden, but you realize, you know what, there's just things I need to get right. Maybe your heart's not open to others getting saved, the mess that they might bring in, the problems. We're not going to allow immorality and those kind of things, but they're not always pretty either. In a politically divided, socially divided nation right now, we need revival. Are you praying for it? Believing God to really move? Because that's what we need. Let's all stand. These altars are open. Allow people to talk to God, sing a song. He is the image.
worship him. Father, we love you, God. We praise you.